Greetings, dear viewers. We're happy to welcome you on Alafra TV. This is Project Creative Society, global talk on education. Today, we are communicating with Dr. Peter Kent. We are talking about the problems and challenges of today's education, about schools and teacher education in England and in the world, about the advantages and disadvantages of distance learning, about creative society, and many other questions. So let me introduce our today's guest. Our today's guest is Dr. Peter Kent. Dr. Kent has been a head teacher of Lawrence Cherry Schools in rugby since 1991. He completed his doctorate in school culture during the early years of his leadership. Lawrence Sheriff School became a teaching school in 2012 and also delivers the UK government's leadership training programs for middle and senior leaders and head teachers. Dr. Kent, former president of the Association of School and College Leaders, since finishing as president of this association, Dr. Kent has joined the executive of the International Confederation of Principals and now is their incoming president. He is a member of, he was a member of the Ethical Leadership Committee Commission and currently chairs the Warwickshire Challenge Board. Dr. Kant, welcome on Alive for TV. Thank you very much, Konstantin. Really good to be with you. Thank you. And my name is Dr. Konstantin Rybachuk. I'm the participant of the International Public Movement Alive. Just a few words for those who are watching us for the first time. International Public Movement Alive is an association of active, honest, and friendly people who inspire to use their best human qualities for the benefit of the whole society. And a couple of words about our project, which is called Creative Society. Uh, this is the project that was, associate, uh, was launched by people from around the world. And we see the Creative Society as a society where the life of every person is the main value. This is, a, this is the society where all conditions have been created for people to manifest their best human qualities where everyone cares about the society and the society cares about each human. So welcome again, thank you for watching us and we begin. Uh, Dr. Kent, let me ask you the first question. How do you personally envision a creative society, the society where you, your loved ones, your family and everyone in the world would live comfortably and feel happy? Well, Constantine, I think that's a really interesting, quite a challenging question. One of the words I emphasize a lot um, in my own school, where I, I've been head teacher here for over 20 years, is um, the importance of community. Um, and, and, and what I mean by community um, is that we are all part of one extended family. So we all have a shared interest, a shared investment in supporting one another. And I was fascinated to read and, and, and discover more about the Creative Society project and the values behind it. And that seemed to me to align very closely to what um, my students hear me talk about a lot, about the importance of um, community. And, 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 the, and the, the, the pupils here um, always say that I never go more than about a minute in any talk that I give to them before I, I latch back onto that word community because it is so important um, that we see ourselves as being interlinked and, and, and supporting one another. That's very fantastic. You know, uh, we have, it's one of the uh, sayings that we used to say a lot in our movement that indeed uh, we have really a commonplace of living, the earth, one 
nationality, which is human being, and one common value, life. Yes, I, I, I think that puts it absolutely wonderfully about that, that common value that links us all. Yes, life and love. Dr. Kent, let me ask you about education. Uh, you were a very famous expert in education and has a lot of years of experience as a school leader and education leader. From your point of view, um, speaking about the creative society and education, how do you personally envision the development of education in the future? Um, I, I do think that um, it's an interesting time for um, education. I think the impact of um, the pandemic has um, made a lot of us think very hard about the values uh, that we're seeking to achieve through education. Um, one of the things I found very helpful is something that um, a lot of us have been thinking about worldwide, which is the importance of, of, of equity um, and the part that education plays in building um, a more equitable society. Um, and, and that education is often a way to, to break down barriers and to give pupils, regardless of their, their background and, and, and their context, the same set of opportunities. And, and I think as the world learns from some of the experiences of um, the pandemic and the way that it's hit us, one of the things for education coming out of it should be the need to promote um, greater equity and to achieve that, that greater equality between different groups, different cultures, um, through the power of, of, of education, which, which if education goes well, gives so much opportunity to so many different students from so many different backgrounds. Thank you, that's fantastic. And you've mentioned values. Um, let me ask you, how important in the modern society and especially in schools to raise the questions of humanity and morality? And how is it working in particularly in schools in the United Kingdom and in Lawrence Sherry School in particular? Can you please share with us? I, I think that's, that's a wonderful question, Constantine, if you don't mind me saying so, because it's something that's really been um, challenging us in the English system. Um, when you kindly gave a, a summary of some of the things I was involved in, one of the things you mentioned was the ethical leadership um, group or commission. And that's been looking at exactly that point, saying that um, as English school leaders, um, obviously we all want our schools to do well and, and to achieve the best for our students. But it's really important that we're not just putting across to our students that um, it's all about examination results, for example. It has to also be about the values um, that we show to them. And it's always um, the way I think it was Kipling who said um, that uh, you can talk about things, but in the end, it's living it out that makes a real difference. So those values you talk about, um, um, I, I think, really matter. And particularly um, through my, my previous work, my previous research into school culture, all that that seems to say is that the leaders need to um, model or display the values that they want the rest of the staff and also their pupils to put into practice. So I, I, I think it's absolutely central what you've described and it's really important that we model education and we model schools 
yes, they're about good, good results for our pupils, of course they are, but, but as part of that, um, it's around passing on the values we want and, and us living out those values, values such as trust and, and morality um, and consideration for others and justice in the way that we deal with others. And, and in the UK, that's some of what we've been trying to tease out through this ethical leadership movement. Um, so we're saying that, that a good school is not just based on cutthroat competition, it's actually on building those values um, within our schools and across schools, across our education system. Thank you very much. And uh, from your point of view, should be the teacher an example uh, of these values he is teaching? Because very often we see the situations that we have classes in ethics, in aesthetics, in philosophy, when we are talking about these values. But what do you think? Should the teacher first be an example of these values to his pupils or students? I, I think that is absolutely the case. Um, there's a line from Hamlet that says, above all else to thine own self be true. And there is great truth in that. If, if you are teaching about something that you genuinely believe and that really matters to you and that you're passionate about, then it has so much more impact rather than it being some kind of um, dry academic concept that you're trying to pass on to others, but you're not really demonstrating. And equally, I think your pupils, your students respond so much more positively if they can see within you some of the values and some of the beliefs and ideas that you are then seeking to pass on to them. Yes, exactly. What I've noticed when I was a teacher and I was more time in the class, uh, I've noticed that the students and pupils, they are feeling exactly what the teacher feels at this moment. If he is disappointed, angry, happy, if he is in good mood, the pupils feeling that. <laughs> I think there is so much truth in that. And it's, um, I say, having been a head teacher for a long time, one of the things that's really struck me is as a leader, you have that, that power to sort of set the tone, as it were, for everybody else yeah. and to pass that on. And then hopefully that influence extends to the teachers and through them extends to the pupils as well. So it's, it's a leading is a wonderful opportunity, but it's also um, a great responsibility as well. Yes, true. Uh, Dr. Kent, let me ask you a question. Um, about education in general, uh, from the point of view of British experience and um, international experience, uh, what are the most challenging challenges right now in education in the world? It's interesting. Um, if it's okay with you, Constantine, I'll answer in two parts. One about, yes, about the situation in England or the UK and one sort of more broadly. I think in England, our challenge is that our schools have become um, quite um, uh, fragmented. Um, we, the, the academy system has brought lots of really positive systems, positive approaches with it, but we've tended to very much go and do our own thing. And the freedom and the independence that brought has been, has been great, and there's been lots of innovation and good ideas, but what I think we now need to work on building is more of that trust 
and collaboration and working together. And actually the recent experience of the pandemic has probably helped us to do that. Um, and, and we've come to rely on one another much more. And, and the challenge for us in the UK going forward is as the lockdown ends and, and everyone is coming back to school here in September, the, the, the pupils here are very excited because it's gonna be the summer holiday starting after today. But when they come back in September, schools come back with all pupils. And we, our challenge is to keep that sense of working together and, and learning from one another and, and continuing um, into the autumn. We don't want to just go back into a, a fragmented, a bunker sort of mentality. I would say, trying to answer your question more broadly from my work with the um, International Confederation of Principals, and, it, and it's been a, a wonderful privilege and opportunity to work with colleagues worldwide um, on, on aspects of education. I think one of the greatest challenge, challenges is that, that, that thing we've mentioned uh, just a little bit earlier about equity, but education has this um, ability to break down barriers, to increase opportunities. I know in my own life, um, my grandfather uh, was very talented. He was a ship's carpenter and he worked on the light ships going out to the, the different lighthouses around, um, around the coast of England. And because of the opportunities that education has given me, I've been go, able to go on and become a head teacher um, and, and to be involved in all kinds of interesting opportunities, not least this opportunity today. And in, and in previous generations, that wouldn't have been possible. And worldwide in education, I think it's absolutely vital that we keep working on that value of equity so that children from all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different countries and cultures have got that same opportunity to receive education and all the different opportunities um, but it brings with it so that their life chances are not limited um, by that, that, what might have been uh, their background, but that education can open up fresh chances to them. That's true, exactly. Pretty much almost like it was in my family. My mother was the first child in the family who received higher education and that opened to her, you know, more opportunities. Right now, for me and for my brother, we have course, much more opportunities right now. Uh, Dr. Kent, you've mentioned um, uh, about distant learning, uh, that because of, you know, pandemic situation, uh, a lot of schools in the world had to uh, move to the e-classes, electronic classes or distant learning. Uh, from your point of view, um, if we mention um, the distance learning, what do you think are the advantages and disadvantages of distance learning? Thank you. A, a really interesting and helpful question because it's, as you would imagine, it's a live um, issue, uh, uh, an issue that's concerning many people in the UK at the moment. And as you say, Constantine, I'm sure worldwide as well. Mm -hmm. um, we, in my own school, have found um, something that's worked very well for us in terms of um, uh, distance learning has been um, we've used a, a platform that's available to I think a, a lot of people through Google Classroom where basically yeah. we've been able to follow the timetable of the school day and teachers have been able oh, I apologize that's the school bell ringing in the background <laughs> <laughs> that's okay 
So I really am in, in, in school and in the head study. And so the work on Google Classroom has followed the pattern of the normal um, school timetable and school day. And we found that by and large, pupils have engaged with that very well. And teachers have been able to use a variety of approaches. Sometimes it might be a research task that they'll ask students to do. Other times it might be a short video where they perhaps demonstrate something and then invite them to do it. It might be a piece of writing. It might be um, some work with peers. And so that variety of approaches uh, that distance learning has offered has been very helpful. But we have found that it's been absolutely vital to support that and to go alongside that with the pastoral systems that we will all have in our different schools and our different structures. So for example, we're able to monitor where the pupils have engaged with um, uh, uh, the work that has been set. And if not, my, my colleagues quite rightly have, have rung them and had a chat with them or with their parents and said, look, what's, what's going wrong? Can I help? Um, we've been able to keep school open for um, some pupils. So it's been open throughout for a limited number. And those who've actually said, look, actually we, we found for whatever reason, it's hard to access for distance learning. Um, a relatively small group have been able to come in and join us. Um, uh, but we found in general that through that sort of, the, the, one of the terms they've used um, in the UK has been blended learning, that mix of approaches. Um, but actually we feel at the moment that our pupils aren't um, behind where they might ordinarily be. Um, some of them are actually ahead of where they might normally be because they've been so self-motivated. They've worked extremely well. One of the deba debates in the UK, I, I, I don't know whether it, it, it's the same for, for you or for, for other viewers, is um, this thing that's called a live lesson, where it might be a bit like we're having our conversation now and the teacher does a, a lesson over Zoom or some other platform like it to 30 or so students. And one of the debates is, is that the same as a teacher teaching a lesson live? Uh, and I've actually been showing with the parents here, I, I write them during the period of the, the pandemic, I've been writing them um, quite a long letter each week just so they know what's going on. And so I can share our approaches to distance learning and share the news. And I've said to them, I actually don't think that live lessons um, by themselves are a substitute for the sort of rich varied approaches because they can be very passive. It can mean just listening to the teacher so yes interaction you, interactions use all those other approaches as well i don't know would you agree with that constantine yes yes i would agree that uh there has to be always the interaction between a teacher and his pupils because uh i've asked this question um because it's important right now for you know many countries and many uh education leaders and teachers and all of them are saying that um the technologies are important. However, they could not substitute the interaction or relationship between a teacher and his pupil in the class because this social interaction is vital and they cannot be substituted with even more advanced technologies in the future because this you know, human connection, human interaction, uh, like a dialogue between hearts, let's say, it is, it is vital and I would, share the experience of our teachers in the Ukraine, because I have a son, he was also taking distant classes. Uh, the teacher allowed them before the class and after the class 
to communicate like 10, 15 minutes before the class and after the class to communicate with each other because they miss, children miss this communication. They want to communicate, they miss each other. And you know, they're communicating before the class because they want to communicate, they feel like communicating and that's important for them. Also important for them to communicate with the teacher because they ask each other questions, how you did today, what was new, interesting. So that's important. That's Just picking up on that, um, as you said, some of my research was into school culture, and, and there's a lovely uh, there's a lovely definition of school culture, which is the way we do things around here. Mm -hmm. And you can only maintain that special way we do things around here through exactly as you said um, that social interaction and that learning from one another. You can go so far with, with just receiving things. But then that, that human interaction needs to take over. This human interaction, a human relationship, also I wanted to add, I uh, had an interview with um, Dr. Eduardo Andreo from Mexico. Uh, he's an international expert in education. And he gave an example that our civilization, uh, one of the challenges or problems for our civilization is that we're using advanced technologies a lot, but advanced technologies, these they are like a cover or let's say a bubble, right? But inside of this bubble, there should be human interaction and human communication, human feelings, emotions, um, all those things which are making us human. And we cannot, you know, go only into the tablet or the cell phone and communicate through these devices. We need, you know, live human communication as well. Yes, I, I think that provides, as it were, that extra ingredient, um, well, for all, all sort of society, but actually particularly for, for education, because so often the things one remembers, to take one of your points earlier, um, is um, a conversation with a teacher, and it might not have been part of a lesson plan, uh, it might almost have been a casual, a throwaway thing, but that's what stays with you, that's what one remembers and, and, exactly. and goes in really deeply. Exactly. Uh, Dr. Kent, uh, since we began talking already about the relationships, uh, I'd like to ask you a question um, about the relationships, of course. What should be the relationships between generations, children, parents, grandparents, in order to, help, to have a healthy atmosphere in the first cell of our society, in the family? I, I think, um, Constantin, your reference to the family is absolutely critical as, a, as a, an image for education. And um, one of the things I mentioned earlier is my belief in the values of an extended family within mm -hmm. school. So within my own school, we, we organize it um, using something called um, vertical tutor groups, which mm -hmm. means that pupils, um, whilst pupils might be with their own um, age group for um, most of their lessons for, for their pastoral units, their, their form groups, we have them in vertical groups. So um, right from the age of 11 up to the age of 18 or 19, which is the age range my school covers, they're all together for their, for their tutor group, their, their pastoral unit. And the reason we wanted to do that was to get this idea of the, the inter-age um, support, the extended family, mm -hmm. the parents and the grandparents, so that pupils of different ages could share with one another and learn from one another. And, and I remember when I first brought it into my school, 
Um, my own son was in the school and, and, and he led the protest. He said, oh, that's going to be a terrible thing to do. You know, it's, we really don't want to move to the system. Um, but he was won over and, and we, we've had this now for about 15 years and, and we all see it as a really important thing to do so that you pass on to pupils this idea that we can learn um, from people of different ages and we can share experiences and those who are a little bit older look after those who are a little bit younger and equally those who are younger don't need to be um, to stand apart or to stand aloof from those who are older they can approach them and they can ask them questions and they can say, well, what's it going to be like in a couple of years time? Um, could, could you share what, what you've learned with me? Um, and one of the great things um, we found that this has promoted has been, for example, when the students play together um, and, and most of our pupils are boys, not, not all, but, but, but most of our students are boys. So things like playing football is a big thing in, 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 in a break time and at lunchtime. We noticed since we moved to that system that students of different age ranges play together and play football together um, and, 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 and enjoy the experience or basketball or, or, or whatever, or because it's England cricket as well. Um, and it's a sign of a way in which they've begun to learn from, from one another um, and, and begun to take that principle of the extended family. And I think. Um, as we've said all along, education is about values. Um, it's not just a, about factual knowledge. Of and that course, yes. we've articulated of the extended family is surely one of the most important things that we can be teaching our pupils. That's exactly. Um, I wanted also to add and share my experience. Um, it was First of all, uh, was very, you know, I would to talk about Indian experience first and then move to Ukrainian experience. For me, it was um, a little bit, it was very much surprising, but pleasure to hear that, that Indian students, they addressed their uh, teachers, I mean, women teachers as mom. So that shows the attitude to a teacher respectful attitude and at the same time it shows that uh, the school community is indeed a family and inside of this uh, they have like family like relationships attitude respect love communication interaction the same but a little bit different but it is pretty much the same in in the ukraine uh, in the ukraine um we are saying that our pupils, our students, we address to them as our children. Of course, like most of us have our own children. I do have a son too, but to my uh, students, to my, yes, or pupils, I address that they are my children as well. They're not others' children. They are my children as well. And my attitude to them is as to my son or my daughter as to my children. Because from my point of view, I think that um, their future is very much on our responsibility because we are the ones who beside their parents are educating them, teaching them and upbringing them. And the question of upbringing that we are helping them to become human beings to 
teach them vital human values, moral values. We are teaching them also to friendship, to love, to cooperation, to friendly communication. That's how it goes in Ukraine. I, I think that's a wonderful, um, uh, wonderful and fascinating set of values. Um, and actually what you were just saying that it's not, they're not someone else's children, they are our children and we have a shared responsibility for them. Exactly. And it's so important. It, I, I found it very helpful in my own school. My own two sons came to the school um, and had dad as their head teacher, but it makes it means then I can then say to the parents um, here, look, um, what was good enough for my children it has got to be good enough for yours as well. I, I, I've got to have that same duty of care for your children that I had for my own. This is like a common responsibility. At the beginning of the interview, I mentioned like one of the things, this is actually the first value in the creative society, that uh, when every person like in the family cares about the society and the society cares about each human, this is like in school, when we're uh, creating family relationships, when we're caring about our children, I would say in great broad sense, our children, they begin to take care about us as a society, as a school, their friends. So, and indeed it begins working like a family, extended family. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that is so important. And actually it's one of the values that's also underpinned the um, ethical leadership um, work that's been done in the UK. Because if you take that value, Constantine, that, that you've articulated, that they are our children, therefore it's really important that the decisions you make as a leader um, are the right ones for our children, that you're, you're not doing things that might make your, look, your school look good, but might not be the best things for our children. So it's, it's their interests that we put first rather than our own interests. Thank you very much. Dr. Kent, um, I would like to ask a question about leadership and professional development. From your point of view, as a teacher and a school principal, how important is it for a teacher to have and to live in the culture of self-improvement? I mean, both professionally and personally. I think that's a really um, crucial um, uh, value. Um, I must admit, one of the things that um, motivated me when I um, did uh, my own um, uh, academic research, when I first became a head teacher, um, was that I thought it was a way to communicate to my colleagues that continuing professional development was very important. So it, it took me a long time to to do my doctorate in education, um, but it was a way of saying, look, you know, I, I'm still learning and I think the rest of us need to as well. And of course, it doesn't need to be something as academic as that, it was just that was what interested me. And I, I'd always had a, a passion for that topic of school culture. But since then, within my own school, we've said to teachers that if you want to undertake some sort of um, uh, more formal professional development, for example, a master's degree, mm -hmm. and the governing body here have been really good, really supportive, and they have given teachers um, a grant towards the cost of that master's degree um, as a way of saying, we support that and we think it's really good and that our pupils will benefit from it. 
but it could be anything. It doesn't need to be um, a formal qualification. It could be something slightly less formal, but the important thing is the value behind it, that um, education is a shared enterprise and it's not just our pupils who are being educated by us. We're also being educated all the time. And, and the point at which we feel, right, there we are, I've learned everything. That's probably the point to stop because um, really if we are learning all the time, then it's so much easier for us to pass on that um, love for learning and that passion and that interest to our pupils as well. And as you were saying earlier on, that's often what they respond to. They, they respond to our emotions and our values and the interest um, that we're communicating. True, true. Uh, Dr. Kent, I have a question. Maybe uh, my question will have some criticism uh, to the education in general, but I still want to ask it. In the world, we have so many kinds of conflicts. We have economic conflicts, military conflicts, social, racial, religious, many others. Um, from your point of view, in the creative society, can there, can, uh, can there be such a word as a conflict in the dictionary? And uh, if we have so many types of conflicts, maybe our school or education is not doing its job right. I, I think that's a really interesting and a probing and thought-provoking question, if you don't mind me saying so. Certainly in our system in England, as I mentioned earlier, I think one of our real challenges is to promote um, values such as trust um, mm -hmm. across the system, for example, between governments and schools and between schools, so that education is not seen as, as mirroring some sort of conflict or, or distrust or negativity to our pupils. Um, and equally, um, I have learned so much from um, working with the International Confederation of Principles, which seeks to bring together um, school leaders worldwide. And the more I've become involved, the more I thought, goodness, I have so much to learn from my colleagues um, and from sharing ideas and perspectives, just as we are doing this morning. And I, I've learned already, Constantine, so much from you, but I'm going to now go and share with my colleagues and some of the really interesting things um, that you passed on about Ukraine, about India and, 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 and elsewhere. So I think it is really important that in our values as educators, we aren't in some way transmitting to our pupils uh, some sort of ideal of conflict or some sort of ideal of um, pushing others to one side. But instead, we are saying that we believe um, in trust, in working together, in the fact that we can learn from other people as you come alongside yeah. them. And, and, and if we communicate that, I think, again, it's back to what you and I have been saying a great deal. It's a, it's a deeply rooted duty that we have that we pass those sort of values on to our students. And the key role, as far as I understand right now, uh, that uh, the whole education globally in the world, schools in particular, parents, teachers, they should be promoting, first of all, human relationships, friendship, support, understanding, caring, love, if you would like, um, rather than 
other things which are separating us. Yeah, I, I think that is so important. And um, one of the things that really strikes me, as I say, my, my, my students tease me a lot, but I talk a lot about the word um, community. I think they know two things about me in particular. One is that I support Liverpool Football Club and I've been celebrating that we won the Premiership here in England. And two is that I talk a lot about community. But I'm always struck that often when pupils and indeed staff leave the school, they will say, Peter, I know you talk a lot about community, but over the years I've come to realise and come to appreciate how much that value of community and working together actually matters and how important it is not just to talk about it, but as you say, Constantine, to live it out yes. and live day by day. And that's what makes the real difference, I think, living it out and showing it in our values and day-to-day -day experience. I just remembered the phrase, to be an example of changes you wish to see in the world, uh, which belong to uh, great Mahatma Gandhi. Why I remember these words because uh, a couple of years ago I had an interview with one of his grandsons, Dr. Arun Gandhi, and uh, he said that my grandfather used to repeat it yeah. a lot, that you should be an example of those changes you wish to see in the world, be an example yourself. Uh, Dr. Kent, uh, I would like also to ask you a question about the society in general. From your point of view, what should be removed from today's society, I mean globally, in order to create a society that would live in peace and friendship. What prevents us to live in the society of friendship, of peace, for all of us to live happily and safely? I think that's where we have a huge um, privilege as educators, as people who work in school, because I would actually say fundamental um, to that aim you've, you, you've just described of, of, of living um, in peace and friendship and understanding is education mm -hmm. broadly. The more we can give opportunities um, to young people around the world to access really high quality education, the more that goal can be achieved. So something that we can all work together for is giving more and more of that opportunity, giving that, that chance, that, that equity that we've described earlier, so that some um, pupils in certain parts of the world aren't missing out just because of their background or, or because of the economic environment they find themselves in. Because the more that pupils are allowed to learn, allowed to have some of those values uh, that we've very powerfully um, discussed this morning, shared with them as long, alongside the information and the factual knowledge and the values that go with it, the more that we can move to those global values of, of peace and friendship and understanding that you've just described. Dr. Ken, can I make a, a, like a small conclusion here for our viewers? Please criticize me or uh, correct if I make it wrong. Uh, so education and school, and here I mean reading, writing, mathematics, all these things are important only when they help us to become more human, first of all. So the role of the school is not just teaching, reading, writing, mathematics, chemistry, or any other course, but is to help us to become more 
human. Just to support what you've said with, with an anecdote, um, I was very moved a few years ago when um, a former student who, who just finished the school um, left and, and, and wrote to me and he said, um, he said, you know, I was really pleased with my examination results and, and, and um, I've done very well and I've gone on to university. He said, but the thing I like about the school is that you don't just care about the examination results, you also care about what sort of person I become. Yes. And those are the values that you've passed on. And so I couldn't agree more strongly with what you've just said. Edu if education is just about facts and figures, I always say to, to the parents here, if we just pass on um, information, then we failed. It's got to be the value, it's got to be about the person we enable you to be, fulfilling your, your potential more broadly as a human being. So I really strongly agree with what you've said. May I ask you also one of the questions, um, that's one of the last questions that I'd like you to ask today during the interview. From your point of view, how important is it to raise such questions in communication with other people? I mean, questions of creating a new format of the society, which we are called the creative society, about human values, human relationships, morality with other people. I, I think it's tremendously important. Um, it is very much part of the debate that is going on here in England about education and understanding its true nature. Mm -hmm. in, sometimes it does get reduced just to, well, have you got a good set of examination results? And, and of course that matters. And if you, if you don't pass on um, that crucial part of education to your pupils, I think you have let them down. But it is also really important that we continue just this sort of dialogue that you are fostering and allowing and furthering today so that we promote an understanding of the full richness of what education um, offers and that it's education in its entirety that we're committed to. And through that way, that we are promoting those, those global values, Constantine, that, that you've talked about throughout the interview. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Dr. Kent, um, I have two more questions left. Uh, one of them I'd like to ask, um, what would you like to wish to all participants of the International Public Movement Alatra? And right now uh, you have a chance to send a message to all teachers, directors, educationalists, people who are involved in education. What kind of message would you like to send to them? What would you like to say, please? Well, I'd like to send very best wishes um, from um, all of us here in, in the UK and indeed from all of my colleagues in the International Confederation of Principles. I'd like to pass on my admiration for all that you're doing um, and to once again re-emphasize what um, we've been talking about this morning, but we have a wonderful privilege to work in education because in the end, we're not just passing on information. We're also teaching our students how to live their lives. We're enabling them to become the people that they are capable of becoming. We're enabling them to fulfill their potential. And as educators, we can work for greater understanding and greater equality in our world and what a privilege what an opportunity 
to have this chance and this privilege to, to do this as part of our job. Um, and um, as I say, I'm full of admiration for those who work worldwide in education, often in much more challenging circumstances than I face here in England. And it's great to be part of this global movement um, that can achieve so much good across the world. Thank you very much, Dr. Ken. That, that's fantastic. And one more thing. Uh, we have a tradition um, to ask uh, our speakers. Um, can you please recommend one or two people we can ask for an interview and continue this dialogue about the Creative Society and education? Could you think of one or two people you would recommend so we could contact them and continue this conversation? So, so absolutely. I mean, certainly um, one of them would be um, uh, the current president of the International Confederation of Principles, Alter van der Heerden, who, who um, is based in Cape Town. And, and um, Alter has got, again, a fascinating perspective on a lot of the things um, that we have talked about. And, and of course, um, working in, in um, South African system has got some fascinating perspectives um, on equity and the power of education um, to transform and, and is really seeing some really interesting things um, developing there. So I would very strongly recommend that um, if, if it was possible to speak to, to Walter, that uh, um, that would be a very interesting way to continue and, and to develop um, the conversation further. Thank you very much, Dr. Kemp. Thank you. And I would honestly say that I do have much more questions to ask you and to, I would love to continue this conversation. If you don't mind, we will invite you for more interviews and continue this conversation later. Please do, it's been really lovely to speak to you and, and some wonderful and thought provoking questions. And it, it's been a real privilege to be part of this discussion. Thank you very much. Dear viewers, uh, thank you very much for watching us today. Uh, if you'd like to know more about uh, the project Creative Society, please visit our website, which is called alatraunites.com. In the right uh, upper corner, there is a button, uh, join us. Please click on it. Uh, there you will find a short form that can be filled out in one of the languages you feel comfortable with answer a few questions and send it to us and we will definitely contact you. Uh, I'd like to remind again that today we had a wonderful conversation, a fantastic dialogue with Dr. Peter Kahn from United Kingdom. Dr. Kahn, thank you very much for this wonderful conversation and we hope to see you again during our next interviews. Thank you, sir.